There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am joined by the wonderful Dr. Rupi Ojilla today, aka The Doctor's Kitchen. We get into a lot of different topics in this conversation. We start off talking about the controversial aspects of talking about diet and illness. And I have really noticed, particularly on Twitter, you know, a lot of Twitter arguments going on about what you can and can't say, what is misinformation, what is truth when it comes to how much our diet and what we eat affects our health, our mental health and our physical health. And so we just dig into this and it's something that um, you can tell Rupi is really passionate about. We talk about whether what we eat can actually make us happier. And I felt really inspired after what Rupi shared. I love hearing about the scientific side of things and the different studies that have been done in this area. And it really did inspire me to really look at my own diet and make some changes and he also shares about how he looks after his own mental health and the things that he is struggling with right now and how he's overcoming those so I hope you love this episode let me know on Instagram come on over and find me at Chloe Brotheridge I also just want to invite you if you haven't already to come and visit me at my website karmayou.com forward slash free. I've got loads of free resources for you, hypnotherapy recordings, affirmations, worksheets, things to set you on a path for becoming your karma self. So you can head to karmayou.com forward slash free to grab those now. So let's get into the interview with Dr. Rupi Orgula, The Doctor's Kitchen. Thank you so much for joining me today. I can't wait to hear what you have to say today. Can you explain, maybe for people that don't know much about you and what you do, what it is that you do and how you got to where you are today? Sure, sure, Chloe. Well, thank you so much for inviting me along. Um, we've met a couple of times before, um, just through passing, so it's it's good to be able to have a full-on conversation <laughs> and explore ideas and stuff. So, um, so I'm I'm Rupi. I'm a medical doctor. Um, I've been a doctor for about eleven years now. Um, I'm a general practitioner, but I tend to work in A and E. And uh, I started something called the Doctor's Kitchen. Uh, about five years ago now, where I create recipes and talk about the clinical benefits uh, of the food and the ingredients I create, bringing an evidence-based approach to eating well 
and and feeling better in yourself. Um, but, the, but my story sort of started uh, over 10 years ago, actually, just when I became a doctor, I got ill myself. So I used to suffer from something called atrial fibrillation, which is where your heart beats exceptionally fast and irregularly. And what I thought was going to be a one-off episode um, that occurred to me whilst I was working on shift, actually, as a 24-year-old doctor, um, actually was the start of uh, continual episodes of me going up to 200 beats per minute um, two or three times a week um, for anywhere between 12 and 36 hours. And so that was the start of my patient journey as well as my clinical profession. And over the next couple of years, I saw multiple cardiologists. I saw lots of medical colleagues. I got loads of advice. Um, I was going to have a procedure uh, called an, uh, an ablation, which is where you put a guide wire into your heart and you burn an area to stop the uh, misfiring electrical cells. Um, and it was my mum and my family who suggested, you know, I need to look at my diet, my lifestyle, which was otherwise fine. You know, I was just eating a normal quote unquote diet with sandwiches at the canteen and cereal for breakfast or whatever. Um, and it was me taking a, a methodical approach to healthy eating and actually doing a deep dive into the literature that actually led me to understand a lot more about nutrition and ultimately overcome my condition as well. And since then, I've just been having more open, honest conversations with patients. And that led to the idea of the doctor's kitchen probably about eight years ago now. Um, I didn't muster the confidence or the courage to talk about food as medicine until uh, a lot later. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my story in a nutshell. And, and now, like, I've written a couple of books, I run a podcast like yourself, um, I uh, started a nonprofit called Culinary Medicine, which is where we teach uh, right now medical students um, the foundations of nutrition as well as how to cook. Um, and we're at Bristol and UCL medical schools at the moment with a view to getting this as part of everyone's compulsory medical curricula. And uh, I'm also in the process of um, developing a digital uh, platform that helps do your shopping, connects with online uh, grocers, delivering the ingredients to your door and allowing you to cook doctor's kitchen meals every day, every week, um, with a view to supporting specific health conditions as well. That sounds amazing. That sounds so good. Um, you, you mentioned there about having the, the kind of the courage and confidence to talk about, you know, food in, in this kind of as a, a medical tool in a sense. Do you think that's almost like a bit of a controversial thing to talk about because it's quite a polarized discussion there's there's people on both sides as I notice a lot of people on Twitter I know Twitter's kind of quite a savage place to to hang out and you're always going to hear the most polarized yeah. discussions but people saying you know you cannot recommend someone to to eat a certain way that's going to protect their immune system or you cannot mm -hmm. say this or that um can you what, what are your thoughts on that and how did you find the you know the courage to speak about these things yeah, I think it's a, a mixture of my anecdotal experience as well as my anecdotes from clinical experience supported with decades of research that really demonstrate the value of uh, nutritional medicine. And I think people like to be um, angry for being angry's sake. 
uh, there's a lot of rage across social media and i think we've become this highly politicized community that don't really appreciate other people's views and take their own views of what they've heard as gospel because for the sake of picking a side or choosing a community um which is innate i think in, in human behavior when i talk about food as medicine my understanding and my um my belief in this and it's not really a belief i think it's just it's what it is um it is you have to break down what medicine really in, entails and medicine is the use of substances and interventions to prevent and treat ill health if you were to regard medicine as just the prescription of medications and the performance of surgical uh, interventions it's a hugely naive and simplistic way of looking at what i do and what my colleagues do up and down the country every day you know the simple act of me having a conversation is medicine the simple act of me encouraging someone to go for a walk every single day is medicine and the simple act of me suggesting that someone should improve their diet is medicine because you're changing the very foundations of our complex um, biochemistry that promote health and prevent illness. And that's sort of what every article, every aspect of my books has really tried to paint the picture of, to not over-sensationalize um, food as medicine, but really... Uh, bring attention to a clinical tool that has largely been ignored um, across my profession for, for decades. And I had to find out the hard way. And I think a lot of other people have had to find out the hard way. And what I believe we need to do is democratize this information and, and give people a lot more control and empower them to make these decisions themselves. Mm, totally I'm just thinking because I, I actually I studied nutrition at university um, and we were, we were often told you know doctors are doctors are only given 20 minutes of nutrition and information in their training and but even when I was training I, I did a, um, a module about food and cancer and that was um, quite a kind of controversial thing I think and we were often talking about um, I don't know I mean even in sort of like healthy eating advice, there's still things like, oh, swap, swap uh, a normal Coke for a diet Coke and that sort of thing. And it's, mm. and I think it, I mean, does that miss out a lot of the scope that um, there is for, for this work, do you think? I think it's basic and it's under the pretense that, well, we shouldn't give people false hope because otherwise we might upset them. And I think that's wholly... Um, patronizing and i think it's really you know someone said to me you know you might improve if you improve your diet your symptoms might go away but I, I don't really have much evidence for that but if you want to try it go for it i'd be a lot more happier with that than saying well i'm going to protect this person's psychology by not recommending something that may have an impact and and you know and, and because i I have the autonomy to do so, and I think that's the right thing to do. I think that's really, really paternalistic, and it—you and can tell from the my voice—it 
there's not a few there's not very many things that anger me but that really does get get my um get my goat <laughs> yeah okay it's, it's it, i just i find it so so patronizing and, and you know i'm completing my master's in nutritional medicine at the university of sorry at the moment um I'm, I'm almost at the end of it but covid has put a spanner in the works for my project um but everything i do in the doctor's kitchen will probably come into fruition with the project anyway so i'm kind of mixing the two but everything I learned about um, during my master's course, and it split across uh, different modules, looking at brain health, um, gut health. Uh, there was uh, even topics on pediatric uh, nutrition, etc. It's like, why wasn't I taught this? This is just not fair to at least not have the basics taught to people that in their career span will see tens of thousands of patients. Um and 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 this is why I think you know it's it's less about me and everyone else giving information, but it's about encouraging a culture that um, in, encourages people to take proactive measures to look after our own health using food and every other tool that we have and all the other lifestyle features and just make it the norm. Um, so when I when I talk about food as medicine or nutritional medicine or, or whatever the vernacular you want to use it's really about making it a mainstream recognizable concept that distinguishes itself from the over sensationalized um, charlatans out there that have used similar terminology to sell an alkaline pill or you know a green powder or whatever you know insert substance that will radically improve your health um, and I think you know we need to talk about this um, in, in a lot in a in a, in a lot more um, sort of open fashion. And I'll be honest, like we in the UK are, are really far behind this. Like the Americans uh, have got culinary medicine um, as part of almost fifty percent of their medical education. Uh, sorry, fifty percent of medical schools have a culinary medicine um, program. And a lot of the research coming out of there is really looking at how we can use uh, food as an adjunct, uh, as a tool as well, um, alongside a treatment. So it's not either or, it's and. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, people who are outraged by whatever it might be <laughs> um, just need to have a, a little bit of a wider perspective and um and, and really look toward the patient experience rather than what their interpretation of patients' experiences might be. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think we need to distinguish between the the evidence-based advice and the kind of the snake oil have this, um, yeah, I don't know what you use, like turmeric gummy that's going to cure your cancer or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. um, but I've been reading a lot about the kind of when we're when we're anxious or scared or stressed, our brains are much more likely to think in terms of black and white because we need to be able to make those kind of quick decisions and um, and yet if we're thinking in black and white, that's not very helpful for life because everything is nuanced and more complicated than this kind of these two binaries that we see things in. So um, I think yeah, we all need just to be calmer when we're considering these things, and then we can be more rational about them anyway. Yeah, I think um, we have a propensity towards binary opinions and binary behaviours. Um, and I try and, you know, rationalise even myself. You know, uh, 
the objective uh, and the um, characteristic of a good scientist is someone who comes up with a hypothesis and tries to disprove it themselves. So constantly I'm, I'm encouraging myself to instead looking at, let's say, um, inflammatory bowel disease, instead of looking at, okay, well, there's an autoimmune protocol. Um, maybe that can have some benefit to a patient. The hypothesis should be an autoimmune protocol diet improves uh, IBD symptoms over a 12-week period. Let's disprove that. Let's state, you know, um, that that's, you know, the, the negative. Um, but unfortunately, because of a number of issues within which are distinct to the nutritional world, there isn't enough evidence to refute or prove and so there, therein lies the difference in ideology and how people choose different sides. Uh, and, and that leads to sort of like um, idealistic views of what we should be saying to patients and what we should be initially referring. I like to take a pragmatic approach. Improving your diet is most likely going to lead to benefits, as is proved across different um, scenarios. So even if it doesn't improve that particular aspect of your uh, condition or your symptoms, you're most likely going to be looking after lots of other things simultaneously. Um, yeah, so th there, are, there are a lot of nuances to nutrition. As, it, as I've uh, discovered over the last five years, it's one of those tricky scientific topics to navigate, particularly publicly. Yeah, I guess it's so hard to to test things on humans because when we're often not very honest about what we eat partly because yeah. we're not even aware of what we're eating sometimes because it's quite often on autopilot or we when yeah we're not able to be honest so it can be I think hard to to test yeah. to track things accurately um if you were to say um I don't know what's the what's the what advice do you give people um what what can you say what are the interesting things that do make a difference you know in your opinion to our health oh i mean i, I try and simplify it into principles rather than giving people like dogmatic dietary advice and that isn't to say that a low carb diet a vegan diet a paleo diet a ketogenic diet might be appropriate and might be effective in a therapeutic um way for certain people but majority of us just need to think about principles of healthy eating. And there's eating colors, quality fats, lots of fiber, mostly plants, and, uh, and, and eating in time as well. So it, it pertains to chrononutrition. And I think this is what I'm trying to do with the, the next book. I, th I think, you know, I love talking about nutrigenetics and um, the microbiota and, you know, polyphenols and phytonutrients and all these different things that have an incredible impact on multiple different um, uh, pathways in our, in our human physiology. But I think people need more advice about how to make that habit stick and actually how to make healthy eating just something that we all do. And so the, the next book I'm writing at the moment is uh, called 321, and it's three portions of fruit and vegetables per person, two servings per recipe using one pan. So it's streamlining recipes to make it just something that we're able to do every single day. And the three portions is really what we need to aim for. When people initially heard about the Imperial College research that came out that stated we need about 800 grams 
of uh, differing fruits and vegetables every single day for optimal health. It sounds wholly unrealistic because that that is 10 portions of fruit and vegetables per day. Um, and that's why I thought, well, well, let's break it down into different uh, into different meals and actually how you're actually able to do this. And it turns out it can be quite simple um, if you put in place a structure that can, you know, um, make it easier for people to do on a daily basis. So uh, if there was one thing I would say to people, it's don't worry about calories. Don't worry about, you know, particular macronutrient proportions. Just think about adding fruits and vegetables to your plate. Um, and the TED Talk that I did, again, for really good for beginners is just can you add one more every meal time? Just one more fruit, vegetable, nuts, or seeds at every meal time. And, um, and and that over the long term, the culmination of all those different habit changes and those additions to your diet can be um, super um, game changing for a lot of people. Um, it's certainly the way I took it when I think back to it 10 years ago when I started eating better. was like, okay, well, I'm going to add certain things to my diet um, rather than just focusing on, okay, I'm going to restrict myself from something else. Yeah, I think that's such a healthier mindset to think about what we can add rather than taking away and, and having principles rather than something so strict that you have to think about it so much that it becomes really unfun and you end up wanting to rebel against it anyway. Exactly. Um, it's it's a, I, like because I like economics and I love entrepreneurship, I, I like thinking, thinking of things in terms of opportunity cost. So what is the opportunity cost of you know, um, me having a load of fries, uh, which I indulge in every now and then. So, and I try to promote that across my social media because it just gives a layer of norm, norm, normality to, you know, everyone's eating habits. Um, but, you know, if you're going to be having that all the time, then the opportunity cost is that, well, you're not going to want to have your variety of different colors and vegetables and the rest of it. And so, you know, just just thinking about it in, in that way is like, well, I'm going to have a lot of this stuff and I can have less of the other stuff or maybe I won't even feel like having the fries or the donuts or whatever. Um, but it's, you know, I, I think you're right. I think we've put too much emphasis traditionally and historically on restriction um, and low-fat this and low-carb this. So it's, you know, more about just having what we need to eat more of that will naturally mm. replace the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Sounds good to me. Um, do you think that what we eat can help us to be happier? Yes, I can. Happiness as it pertains to mood, as it pertains to the spectrum of different um, mental health issues that we have. And, and, and I want to say, like, we all have mental health. We were talking about this earlier. We all have mental health issues. Some days we feel low. Sometimes we feel happy. Sometimes we undulate between those different emotions. And the degree and the spectrum by which people experience those different things is very, very wide. On one end of the scale, it's subclinical, where I feel low, I feel tired, I feel fatigued, I feel apathetic. Um, uh, but I, it doesn't disrupt my my daily uh, ability to to go out and engage and you know speak to my family etc. On the other end of the scale, the more extreme end of the scale, it requires pharmaceuticals, hospitalization, psychotherapy, um, you know, a whole bunch of suite of different um, uh, issues that we need. But we are all along that spectrum, and I think once we understand that, 
it makes us, it's almost like what's going on right now with a pandemic. We're all in this together. We all experience this and we can in some ways change ourselves along that spectrum. And I think discussing eating for mental health issues has the same complexity and I take it with the same trepidation as talking about food um, uh, in the oncology field because it, it's it's highly emotive and it, and it can you know, you know um, spark reactions but underlying everything that I put in is an evidence base and underlying is like you know what I really want people to appreciate and I think if people are aware of potential tools that can help them that will serve us better as a as a, a community and so to answer your question can we eat to be happy or in, improve our mood absolutely yes we, we can do but there isn't to say that that's a silver bullet and it's you know negating all the other interventions that we have like psychotherapy and um, engaging with people or uh, uplifting and trying to heal past traumas um, you know but by, by having more long-form conversations without distractions improving sleep etc but food is is particularly um, unique in that you know it, it changes so many different variables for us so the way I look about food um, and I had to preface everything I say because I don't want to just say I'll oh, just you know, eat some beans and you'll feel better. Um, so so yeah. food can can impact uh, our microbiota, this population of microbes that live in and around our body. And improving that population leads to benefits in a number of ways. The way you improve it is, like I said, principles of healthy eating, lots of plants, lots of different fibers, color, variety, etc., quality fats. By improving that microbiota, they, they perform their function a lot better. And their function are as immune modulators, as uh, balances of inflammation, and also as producers of different types of amino acids and uh, neurotransmitters that can impact the brain in direct and indirect mechanisms. So inflammation modulation, we used to think of our uh, brains as uh, immunoprotected and completely distinct from the rest of our body we now know that that's um, not entirely true inflammation uh, particles can cross the blood-brain barrier and cause localized inflammation that can lead to um, brain effects and mood um, disturbances we know that our immune system is uh, potently modulated by our gut microbiota that can be supported with all the different foods um, that i mentioned and also there's a, there's a stat and it always swings between 60% and 90%, depending on which article you're reading, about the amount of serotonin that's produced in your gut. Long, long and short of it is it's a lot, whatever that amount is. And I still haven't found someone that can direct me to where exactly that number has originated from. Um, the serotonin in your, uh, in your gut that's produced along with a whole bunch of other neurotransmitters can directly impact your your brain and there are there are potential mechanisms behind that but also indirectly via the autonomic nervous system by your vagus nerve that um you know communicates with your brain by saying everything in your gut is absolutely fine don't worry about it and that leads to calming sensations in, in your brain as well that can ease mental anxiety and ease depression and there's there's been some small scale research looking at the impact of of diet coming out from um uh, Deakin University, I believe it was, 
with Professor Felice Jacker, um, where they actually put a small uh, number of patients on dietary uh, changes for about 12 weeks. And uh, in some cases, um, people actually came off medications, but the vast majority of them, a significant proportion of them actually reduced um, their mental health symptoms, um, which is, for me, absolutely incredible because you look at the suite of different pharmaceuticals that we have and the efficacy of those is actually quite low. It isn't to say that we shouldn't be introducing them or people should be taking them, but if there are things that could potentially help, even in a small way, we need to explore that. And this whole um, umbrella term of nutritional psychiatry is definitely garnering a lot of interest amongst conventional, traditionally trained um, psychiatrists. Um, And and they are really spearheading this, you know, food as medicine movement in the US as well, which is very, very encouraging to hear about. Um, So in the long, yeah, the short answer to your question is, uh, yes, I think so. And I think most people, even if they don't have a diagnosis of, of anything or they don't feel like they have a mental issue, will appreciate that if you eat poorly for a few days on the trot, you're not going to feel great in yourself either. And I think, you know, we've all done that. I I do that every now and then. And I know, you know, it keeps me back on uh, track because I know exactly how I'm going to feel energetic, um, you know, cognitively aware and alert if I I eat the right things. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you said that. I feel very motivated now to really... Um, improve what I'm doing because I think at the beginning of lockdown I I got well into cooking and I was cooking different things every day with loads of veg and it slightly waned but now I feel like I can I feel inspired I think I suppose we all we all just want to be happy really at the end of the day and knowing that by improving our diets we can potentially you know improve our mental state I think that's the most motivating thing and would be much more motivating for me than than anything else I think so yeah thank you for telling me that yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think, you know, and I, I think lockdown um, <laughs> it led to this huge flourish of people baking and stuff, which is great because I think the first thing people need to learn is not necessarily like healthy eating. It's not necessarily like oh, you have to cook in a certain way. It's just learning how to cook um, and becoming a lot more kitchen confident because you can utilize those new culinary skills and apply it to whatever way of eating that you want. And, um, you know, obviously I'd want to encourage people to eat uh, well, but, you know, I actually love seeing people making banana bread and you know, sourdough and all this stuff. It's great. It's great to see. And hopefully coming out of this lockdown period, we can encourage a more proactive um, population that are more in tune with self-care because we know what the important things are. It's our families, it's connection, it's food. Uh, and it's um, it's it's happiness. It's just the joy of 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 being with people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I think it is so much about confidence when it comes to cooking. Just believing that you can. Sometimes I, I find myself doing this. I feel like I, I don't believe I'll be able to follow a recipe or something, and then I do it, and I'm yeah. like, yes, actually, I can. Like, I need to remember this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, I was really interested to hear about what you do personally to support your own mental health. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've got a puppy now. (laughs) 
best thing ever. <laughs> Which is the best thing ever, yeah. He's falling asleep right next to me. She's so so cute. Um, what do I do? Mental? Well, I'll tell you a few things I've, I've picked up in the last year. Apart from eating well, and like, uh, I think I have a super healthy diet generally. Like, I, I'm that person that will, you know, go to a restaurant and purposely order a couple of the sides of asparagus or spinach or whatever just to supplement my meal because I, I almost crave quality greens and healthy additions to my plate of food or my meal time whenever I'm eating. So I think I've got that on lockdown. A couple of things I do to improve my mental health are I, I have some coffee free days. Um because I know excess coffee actually makes me a bit anxious and gives me a bit of a crush and I'm quite sensitive to caffeine. He says as he drinks the coffee. Um, and uh, so I have caffeine-free days that improve the tolerability and actually uh, mitigate it against poor sleep. So I definitely do that. The other thing I do, <clears throat> and I'm def- definitely making more of an effort with, is my sleep. So my sleep, um, I try. So I wear an aura ring to track my sleep, and I have done for like the last couple of years now. It's incredible the insights it can give you. Wearables are not for everyone because I think it can, again, almost on par with calorie counting, it can get a little bit uh, overwhelming for, for people. Um, but for me, I find it ex- exceptionally motivating. Um, and it's that gamification of my sleep that's actually kept me on the straight and narrow. So I try and improve um, my, my sleep using uh, tracking technology. And the other thing I do is um, breath work and meditation. Um, I don't do it enough. I definitely like this morning I was meant to do it. I got, I got distracted with a puppy. I had this podcast to do. I didn't have uh, time to do it. I should do it later on. Actually, I might do it after we're finished. Um, But yeah, I find that super calming. Um, It improves my heart rate variability and improves my, my my general heart rate. Um, And I always feel very refreshed when I do a streak of those uh, over a couple of weeks. So those are different things that I try and encourage. Um, and the fourth thing, the wild card is um, social media fasting. Uh, trying not to look at the news, trying not to follow toxic people, trying not to engage in debate. I'm very good at not engaging in debates online. I generally, you know, even if someone says a sarky comment or anything like that, I thank them, I appreciate them, and I let it go. And I think that whole process of letting go even in a simple way as not replying to a comment or replying in a very civilized, overly kind way is something that hopefully trickles down into my general life and how I react. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've definitely become a little, a little bit calm in that respect uh, in terms of my reaction to things that annoy me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's such a good uh, thing to do, I think, because it can be so easy, I think, when you get a, when you get criticised or you get someone just being unreasonable to kind of go into an emotional response, but actually that can just make you feel worse or it can escalate things. And actually the best thing to do is just to take the higher ground and reply really nicely and then just let it go. Um, it's best for everyone involved, I think. Yeah, I so think it's good to hear you doing that. You're right. It's part of like that meditation practice. It's like recognizing how you feel in that moment uh, and accepting it and then letting it go. And and, and, it sounds very simple to do. In reality, it's exceptionally hard, particularly when, and this happened on a number of different occasions where 
someone insults or questions your professional authority, someone questions your life's work, essentially, someone questions something you've been practicing day in, day out for 15 years. And when your your inner and your your, um, self-identity, your core has been um, antagonized, uh, or criticized, you, you're, it's very obvious and very acceptable and understandable to feel some anger, some feel some rage, feel hurt, feel vulnerable, embarrassed, etc. But it, the practice, and this is sorry to go on a tangent here, but the practice that I'm trying to um, entertain on a daily basis is understand. That and, and, and you're allowed to feel that. That's absolutely fine. It's okay to feel that, but then just let it go. Recognize the rage, recognize the anger, and then let it go as fast as you can. And hopefully that comes out in you know social interactions thereafter or so, in any context. Yeah, and I'm sure that's relevant for people listening as well. I think particularly now... I'm sure other, um, I don't know, it's, I know everyone's Facebook feed is obviously different, but mine is extremely polarised with all sorts of things about conspiracies and vaccines <laughs> yeah, and vegans yeah. and non-vegans <laughs> and this and that. And it's like quite an overwhelming place. And um, if you have a certain view, then there's going to be people that disagree with you if you're one of these polar opinions. Um, so try not to get kind of caught up in it and trying to to be kind in the way that you're responding rather than unkind because yeah it's just healthy totally. for everyone totally because i mean social media is designed to reflect the um the weaknesses i would say in uh human behavior and human psychology it's already hacking our innate desire to you know uh, act in rage or whatever and and your currency in today's day and age is your like your share your comment and I think where you choose to spend that will dictate the landscape and the virtual environment, but also your physical environment going forward. And so what I like to remind people of is the toxicity that you engage in, whether it's the president of a particular country or whether it's someone you disagree with because of your idea about what people should be eating, fuels a negative landscape that I think we should be more aware of and we should take more control of. Um, You know, it's very easy for me to say this uh, and, and, you know, dictate to people what they should be doing. It's up to them at the end of the day. But I think people need to be a little bit more aware of, um, of just, you know, how easy it is to antagonize each other and why we're being willingly, pushed in that direction because that's how social media algorithms are built it's you know this is why because it it basically um rewards that kind of behavior gosh this is so interesting yeah Yeah. i mean if i went on a rant let's say if i was to go on my social media and i was to rant about the no conspiracies about pandemic or you know uh, these anti-vaxxers need to get off their high horse or anything like this 
I, I'm sure it would generate so many like so many comments, both positive and negative. So many likes, both. both. And if I am of that person, that that mindset, it's like all I need to do is just try and get more and more likes, more and more followers, more and more. Because again, that's been sold to us as this idea that is a you know a desirable, and that's what we should attain. Then yeah, of course, uh, that's exactly the game that I would be playing. Fortunately. I feel like I've got a little bit more insight than than you know um, for 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 because of my time being on this platform for so long um, to to not engage in that kind of behaviour because I don't think it's good for for anyone and the whole purpose and the whole reason why I started this project is to help people live healthy, happier lives. And I don't think that's going to be particularly helpful. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And I often think I don't know people like Katie Hopkins. I think that's what her name is. Not a very nice person, to put it mildly. But I sometimes think, is she just being so divisive? Because that's why she has a job. She has a that's job exactly because she's why. so extreme. She can't be that despicable, really, inside, can she? I mean, maybe no, she can. No, she's not. She's like no. coming it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like you know, I don't particularly like anything she puts out. I don't follow her. I don't comment on her. I don't like it. I don't dislike it. It's just like the 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 people who play the game properly are now in positions of power and we sit around asking ourselves how that was allowed to happen. Well, the reason why it was allowed to happen is because you engaged in it and, and, and you added fire to the, you added fuel to the fire. The, the reason why there are certain people who are on pedestals, like the person you mentioned, like presidents of certain countries, etc., is is because we have given them the that we've spent our currency on them and that currency is our attention it's our comments it's our it's honestly this is why and so when people realize that hopefully we can exercise some restraint because that's essentially what is going on in today's day and age we have to wake up and realize that our reality is um you know it's a lot more fragile and it's a lot more moldable with with our engagements. Um, yeah, and, and the importance of it as well. I think we do need to be careful where we put our attention. I um, I study Qigong and there's a saying, oh, yeah. um, a Chinese saying, yi dao, qi dao, where you put your mind, you put your energy. So 100%. Don't put 100%. our energy on the crap stuff, basically. Yeah. I love that. Where you put your mind, you put your energy. I think it might actually be um, where the mind goes, energy follows. Where the mind goes, energy follows. That sounds where better. Where the mind goes, energy follows. It's, it's totally right. It reminds me of a Bruce Lee comment uh, or a quote. He must have got it from some of his ancient teachings as well mm. Um, mm. about you know your energy flows. Um, you, you have a lot more control of your energy if you. I'm going to bastardize this comment, so I'm not going to repeat it. But like, so I, I, I think it's in that kind of vein. And I totally believe yeah. that. I totally believe that. Yeah, I was having a conversation with someone the other day, actually, who's a, a sports psychologist. Uh, he's worked with premiership footballers and, and all the rest of it. And, and he told me, you know, one of the most important things people need to realize is that external factors can't change your psychology. External factors can't change your psychology. You change your psychology. You change your mindset. So if something angers you, you have the choice to let it anger you or 
not let it anger you. And you are that filtration. You are that barrier right there. And the more control we have over our internal reactions, we shape our external environment. And I think, again, like I said, it's easier, loved than, uh, it's easier said than done. But um, I think that's quite eye-opening. And it's definitely been eye-opening for me. And it's definitely been something that I've tried to put in, into practice um, more of. Yeah. Mm, yeah, so interesting. Um. I wanted to ask you as well, is there anything that you are struggling with at the moment and how are you kind of handling that or overcoming that at the moment? I'm struggling with my puppy at the moment, but <laughs> that side. Um, I heard puppies are harder than babies to look after in the beginning. They, they oh, need more attention. I've never looked after a baby, but I mean, she definitely needs a lot of attention. She's super cute though. She's, she's just sleeping there. Um, she, uh, uh, what am I struggling with? I, I, I would say um, over the last few weeks, I've been a lot more irritable um, with lockdown and with the situation. I'm actually, I've actually realized I'm, I'm actually quite introverted. Like I, I actually, in a weird sadistic way, I quite like to lock down. The reason why is because I tend not to go out the weekends anymore. I tend to like being inside and working on my computer and yada yada and the knowledge that no one else is doing anything allowed me not to have that much FOMO and actually I found that quite settling um, but I think that speaks to one of the things that I am struggling with and it's working too much um, I usually uh, pre-lockdown like have uh, a general guide with myself it's like not to work after 6pm and forget about work afterwards but because of my increased clinical pressures, because I was writing this third book at the same time as finishing off my master's as trying to start this digital product, a lot of things were getting on top of me. And I thought the way out of that was to work my way through it. And that has led to, you know, disagreements with people I love and, and you know, issues or, you know, around like attention, all that kind of stuff. And I think the the reason why is it all comes down to me is because I haven't been as self-disciplined so I think um that's definitely something I've been struggling with uh over the past couple of months but it, it ebbs and flows you know other times I've struggled with um uh mindset motivation um I generally keep to a healthy lifestyle so I think it's that deeper psychology stuff whereas I guess for a lot of other people you know it's habit formation it's um, making sure that they're keeping their physical bodies well with an, an idea of, you know, getting around to the, the root uh, of, of how their um, psychology improves as well. So, yeah, I think those are the things that I'm struggling with at the moment, but I'm yeah. getting there. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think I'm sure lots of people can relate to that in terms of introverts being kind of glad that they don't have to go out and yet maybe that can if you're if we're at home and especially if we work for ourselves or we I suppose everyone not most everyone is working at home um then there's no off point you don't kind of have a 5 30 p.m or 6 p.m kind of go home and end the day it's much more fluid so work can just continue off into the evening and I think um yeah we need to Often our body shows us when we're when we're overworking. I know mine does. My body starts to like seize up if I'm overworking, yeah. and it tells me, right, you've got to slow down a bit. 
I'll tell you there's something else that I'm struggling with, Chloe, and this only was recently brought to attention, um, to my attention, is that I think I risk being um, uh, overly optimistic and overly uh, positive about things when actually I need to accept reality and just say to myself, things are pretty shit right now. And, you know, to, to appreciate that not everyone can have that eternal optimism that I seem to appear to have, at least on the external uh, aspect anyway. And to let that sit with me. Um, Because I think, uh, you know, I I mean, I practice gratitude. I'm a very positive-minded person anyway. And I think that's just because of my upbringing, because of my position in work. I know how worse things can be for other people. Um, but I think sometimes if you constantly portray a positive image on what is a, uh, a less than desirable situation, you risk trying to cloud it and sugarcoat your situation for the sake of being positive rather than just letting it wash over you and accept it. Um, and I think that's something I, I need to work on going forward as well, um, that isn't to say that, you know, we shouldn't have a positive mindset. I think, you know, there's a balance to strike there. I mean, everything always comes down to balance and homeostasis and equilibrium. And this is why I'm fascinated by those ancient concepts of, you know, just the middle way, the middle path, not being happy, not being sad, just being in the, in the ebb and flow and, you know, accepting that everything changes. Happy moments change to sad moments, sad moments change to happy moments, etc. Everything ebbs and flows with the, the uh, transition of life. Yeah, I think I suppose accepting the the quote unquote negative feelings helps mm. us to to process them. I I know from lots of people that I speak to that there there can be this pressure to be positive yeah. and everything is a positive meme on Instagram and yeah. you know, hashtag positive vibes and we don't allow ourselves to feel things um, or we stay so busy that we block out the negative feelings. And actually just giving ourselves permission to, to feel them and let them move through means that a better experience overall because that stuff will come up to bite us if we suppress it. But, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It, it, you're right. It's like that. I, I don't feel like I suppress things, if I'm honest, but I think I'm at risk of doing that by by constantly portraying a positive uh, perspective on things i'm at risk of suppressing true feelings and instead accepting you know this is pretty crap right now and then you know working through that rather than not acknowledging that the situation is um less than desirable yeah yeah i think that the answer to everything is it's complicated so <laughs> yes yeah. it's always complicated it's always shades of gray it's always there's always nuance so let's um, be open-minded to things yeah (laughs) um thank you so much for everything you've shared I've loved this conversation um where can people find out more about you when is your new book out and yeah what what else are you offering sure yeah so my new book's not out for a while (laughs) uh you can pre-order it on Amazon but it's not out until uh January 2021 um and the book's going to be called Doctor's Kitchen 321 Three portions of fruit and vegetables per portion, two servings per recipe using one pan. So curries, stews, casseroles, tray bakes. It's basically just streamlining the whole process. So it makes 
healthy eating a habit and just something that we do every day. Um, and the doctorskitchen.com is really where people can find out about stuff. We publish two brand new recipes on the newsletter every single week. The podcast is all linked there. We interview people um, talking largely about uh, nutrition and nutritional medicine, certain disciplines. So eating for your brain, eating for your heart, eating for your mood. And um, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm also you know, founder of the nonprofit Culinary Medicine, which is really trying to revolutionize how we teach nutrition to healthcare professionals. Initially, right now, it's medical students and doctors, but we are hoping to go and explore into allied health professionals, nursing professionals, um, and, uh, yeah, just seeing where that takes us, really. We've got loads of really big plans with that. Um, but the whole ethos and the whole, like, mission is to try and help 10 million people eat doctor's kitchen meals every day. It's a really am ambitious task, but I think... You know, it's um, it's definitely something that is achievable, and something that I'm trying to visualize um, and create like a distinct and crystal idea of what that looks like. And I think, hopefully, from everything I've read, anyway, that will help um, it to fruition into reality. So, yeah, but I've really enjoyed this conversation, Chloe. This has been it's kind of cathartic for me actually. So it's quite nice to um, to talk about it yeah brilliant thank you so much you have been listening to the karma you podcast with me chloe brotheridge don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website karmayou.com you can also find out about my app and my one-on-one -on -one sessions please do subscribe to this podcast in the apple podcast app and if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful please leave me a review it makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people and come on over and find me on instagram i'm hanging out there every day you can find me at chloe brotheridge let me know what you thought of this episode and please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today so i'm sending you loads of love and i hope you have a brilliant week ahead 